0: I do believe constitutionally i shouldn't meet with him because as you can be barred from membership in the union but take it a step further i i have a problem with uh, the morals and principles or lack thereof of of uh, uh, former president trump who god help us all should remain former
1: they want to make sure place aren't them they'll ask you to cut corners right if we deem it unsafe we have every right to say no
2: to me, it was just like, there's a bunch of old dudes that work here, you know, and they, they had a blast. They had a great time, you know, but you felt like an outsider. It was yeah. like, this is, this is part of a club that I'm not part of.
3: Sometimes in schools, you know, uh, parents can be seen as these scary entities when they're reaching out with questions or concerns and they need to be heard and listened to, you know? And I think when teachers and, and parents work together, kids will do better. Latinos are always seeking better working conditions
4: and protections, thus creating a partnership, kind of like a marriage, between Latino workers and unions that contribute to America's success.
5: You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, produced by the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock. On today's show, Teamsters protest Donald Trump's invitation to union headquarters. Delta workers discuss the need for union representation. Veteran firefighter Chris Fukai, the importance of family engagement in schools, and LACLA's annual report on Latino workers and unions. This week's featured shows are Workweek Radio covering the voices of working people, unions, and their struggles locally, nationally, and internationally. IAM Delta, the official podcast for ramp, tower, and cargo workers at Delta Airlines who are organizing with the IAM, the International Association of Machinists. PFFA Pod, the official podcast of the Portland Firefighters Association, Firefighters Local 43 in Portland, Oregon. OEA Grow, the weekly podcast from the Oregon Education Association. And El Cafecito del Dia, the podcast from LACLA, the Labor Council for Latin America Advancement. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show.
6: This is Work Week with Steve Zeltzer. This week, the president of the Teamsters Union, Sean O'Brien, has invited former President Trump to the Teamsters' national office in Washington for members and leaders to discuss whether the union should support him. Teamsters around the country are angry about what they say is an insurrectionist and racist being invited to discuss the election. This is after UAW Sean Fein has called Trump a scab, company man, and union buster. We first interviewed Chris Severa, who is executive secretary of New York Local 808, who calls Trump a confederate. This week, we have found out that the IBT international president, uh, Sean O'Brien, has invited Donald Trump, ex-president, to come to the Teamsters Union office. Uh, What's your reaction to this whole thing? It seems like it's escalating further and further um, and creating uh, a lot of divisions inside the Teamsters Union.
7: Well, I, I think it's such a it's a it's a mistake. And the fact that we have people, this this is not, we're not dealing with the Republican Party anymore. And I think people should be very clear about this, that this is either the Trumplicans, if they want to call them that, or they're Confederates, which means that they're no longer a part of what we understand uh, America to be. And so to have this meeting, uh, didn't have any other secret meetings, I want to say secret meetings, uh, he didn't have to go to Asa uh, Asa Hutchinson's home, or he didn't have to go to Nikki Haley's home, or didn't have to go uh, to Biden's home. You know, so why did you have to go to Mar-a-Lago to precede the public meeting? There's something funny about that, and I, and 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 this is Mar-a-Lago is the place where people go to bow down. You know, Mc, uh, Speaker of the House McCarthy and so many others who have all made that trip to Mar-a-Lago. None of them went down there to raise hell. All of them went down there to kiss the ring of uh, Donald Trump. And so, therefore, one can see that there is something improper with our leader, our general president, making this trip to uh, the headquarters of the Confederacy.
6: John Palmer is an international vice president of the Teamsters from Texas. He protested the private visit of President Sean O'Brien to mar lago and then O'Brien's invitation to Donald Trump to come to the Teamsters' national headquarters on July 31st to discuss with the Teamsters whether they should endorse him. Palmer says that it is a violation of the Teamsters' constitution to invite an insurrectionist to the union, and O'Brien is violating their own constitution. So John... Uh, you originally raised this issue of why would your president, Sean O'Brien, be meeting with Trump? And now you learned this week that, in fact, he's invited Trump to the headquarters of the Teamsters this coming Tuesday. Were you surprised by that?
0: I'd like to say I was. I was uh, more surprised uh, at the memo that was sent to me and the rest of the general exec- executive board uh, demanding our attendance. and. Uh, um, you know, ironically, the uh, Constitution has language, which I think goes back to the 50s when when we had the Red Scare. But anyway, the language that says that, you know, you can't associate with uh, pe- criminal elements or uh, people that are involved in trying to overthrow a federal, state or province, gov- provincial government. So um, I, I responded by saying I, I, I wouldn't come. Um to that meeting now he's going to meet with Joe Biden in the uh, afternoon after he meets with Trump and and I will attend that meeting, um, but um, I, I do believe he he constitutionally I shouldn't meet with him because you it's, it's, it can be barred from membership in the union, but but taking a step further I I have a problem uh, with uh, the morals and principles or lack thereof of of, of, uh, of former President Trump who. God help us all should remain former.
6: This has been Workweek Radio on KPOO. Thanks to our audio engineer, Cosmi Tori. You can reach Workweek Radio at labormedia1 at gmail.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud at Workweek Radio solidarity has no borders
8: greetings welcome to our deltas workers unite podcast part two i'm your host amanda goodman berry a delta ramp employee minneapolis today's topic will be how could things be different at delta airlines our question today will be coming from five of our delta WRAP employees system wide. So let's jump right in.
1: Um,
9: I guess I think that the employees out at Delta, what they would like to hear from you guys, um, I'm I'm sure they're curious about short staffing. Like it seems like we're working across the system short staffed every single day, and I'm just curious, how do you guys handle it? At, handle it as committee members.
8: So, Brother Fassal, that is for you. Could you answer that for us, please?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we actually have language in our contract that that covers all aspects of short staffing, right? It could be from uh, something as far as a, a daily need, right? So obviously, the number one thing uh, that's common in the industry is overtime, you understand? Know how do we how do we deal with that overtime? So what we do is we have language in our contract of as far as of a, of a process in place, where the company must follow in order to to award that overtime, or even how to distribute the overtime that they just can't pick Agent X, because that's their buddy, or they just want to give them some overtime. Or um, as far as, you know, another common thing when we, when we see in short staffing is, uh, there's a the high volume of call-out, something that we see now at the wintertime here in the East Coast. So you'll see something where, as far as like the afternoon shift, we have maybe, you know, some call-outs and um, the employee just needs a couple of hours to to cover the the need or the, the operational slide until we, we could get the operation up and running again. We actually have language in our contract uh, covered uh, called task completion, where uh, employees will just stay a couple of minutes past their shift to cover that flight and so they could get the necessary coverage to come in or the afternoon shift comes in um, and they actually get paid the whole hour. It's an incentive for employees just to stay for a few minutes, complete their assignment and help with that short staffing.
8: Well, let's keep this going because we get some good answers here. All right, next up we have Brother Orlando. Would you proceed with your question, please?
9: Uh, safety is a huge concern at Delta. It seems a company can nitpick what they want to follow. Um, our biggest issue is extreme weather, broken equipment, and just falls under the short staffness. Uh, what would change
1: if uh, under a union?
8: All right, Brother Fassal, that's back on you again.
1: Yeah, you know what, you're, you're right. And you know, the co- companies always say safety comes first, but they're, they're really quick to cut corners, right, they love to do that. We actually have language in our contract that identifies safety, we have uh, our uh, in article 10, we actually have safety language. And the one language that I, that we have in there that I that I really like, and our members um, actually use a lot is, if you deem something unsafe, if you believe something is unsafe, you have every right to refuse to do it, whether it is the, the equipment is malfunctioning, we're short staffed at the gate. And one thing that the company likes to do, right, because they have numbers to me, they want to meet their metrics. Uh, They want to make sure flights are on time, they'll ask you to cut corners, right? If we deem it unsafe, we have every right to say no. Um, part of that language in the contract for safety is we actually have safety positions across the system, we call them safety advocates as a safety team, which is brothers and sisters like you and I, they go into this program, and they're out there identifying all the safety issues, and they do a lot of peer to peer to identify the issues, speak uh, with the employees, um, how we can avoid these safety matters. They do a lot of safety classes um, as far as uh, uh, how to properly use equipment, ergonomics as far as stretching, uh, proper techniques as far as loading bags, unloading bags, all that stuff.
8: All righty, that brings us to an end of our podcast number two. We'll see you guys on the next one. Have a good day and we'll see you next time.
0: Hey folks, welcome to the PFFA pod. My name is Kyle McLaurie. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit different today. This is going to be the first in a series of podcasts. uh, For all intents and purposes, run by Joseph Keenist. So Joseph is here with me and Chris Fukai for the this first installment. I'm
2: super excited about this. So I was actually um, a relief driver for UPS, which is basically like a a traveling UPS driver. So I'd call in in the morning, you know, at 6:45 or whatever it was, and they'd say you Can come in and work or not, yeah. And then you just they put you on this relief truck that drove all the easy routes. And so I'd, I'd been doing that, it was great, you know. I made a lot of money, and it was right after the strike, uh, '97. So, but then I took the test, and like, uh, like we talked about earlier, I got hired in '98 and I was on an apprentice list. Um, so and I didn't know the difference between any of that, you know, I didn't know. Yeah. It was just like, well, Apprentice sounds like what I am. I don't know anything, so this sounds perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, I'd been riding along at 23s with my father-in-law. He was working there at the time. So um, I'd gotten a feel for kind of what I thought the job was like. Yeah. And then, but the whole time I remember, I remember going through the whole process and every time I'd make it through another section, you know, first the written, it was like, I can't believe I passed this test. You know what I mean? And did good. And then the first interview, and then the physical part. Every time I came back to my wife, and it was just like, I can't believe I keep making it. You know what I mean? Like, I this is just strange to me. I didn't think I could do any of these things. You know, like climbing the aerial. It was like yeah. I had no concept of that. And when I saw it the first time, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. And it was like, and there, I, then I did it. Yeah. And made it through. And Can it was like, bell? yeah. And it was like, I just kept, you know. So it, it wasn't so much like a calling, like a lot of people's, you know. No talk about it was just like the more i did it the more i felt like i can really do this i really feel like this is what i should be doing yeah you know and things just kept lining up in a way that it was like i need to be doing this yeah you know or somebody thinks i need to be doing this yeah so
9: so you were playing baseball
2: at wayworth yep Yep. i was playing baseball at wayworth um yeah division three but it was the same thing like I've always had this weird thing and i I tell my kids about it all the time. It's like I really thought I was going to be a baseball player for my whole life. I yeah. you know I have this weird like why wouldn't I be? yeah, I love doing this, you know <laughs> I, whether I'm good at it or not, you yeah. know, I feel like I'll just keep getting better and this will happen yeah, you know, and I have no concept of why it wouldn't until you're done and everybody's like why would you think you would keep playing yeah <laughs> it's like well, i don't know yeah.
9: when you rode along with your father-in-law at 23s mm-hmm. what did you was there a light bulb that went on in your over your head about the job
2: when you started seeing it or Mm-mm. no it was uh it was kind of the same thing i think i was like more of a deer in the headlights you know everybody okay. was so senior at that station yeah. and so to me it was just like there's a bunch of old dudes that work here <laughs> you know and they they had a blast they had a great time yeah. you know but you felt like an outsider it was yeah. like this mm-hmm. is this is part of a club that i'm not part of you know yeah for sure yeah it looks awesome but the typical ride along like if they never had a call you know yeah. <laughs> or where yeah. we did and <laughs> totally. it wasn't anything good right um I don't know if it, you know, I think it's like everything, you know, if you have ride-along and everybody's like, that kid's never going to make it, you know, like, you know, this kid's a moron or whatever. Yeah, you know. where do you, uh,
9: all you people that come in and do ride-alongs at the station? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no
2: confidence in your future. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just how we are, I guess. Um, yeah. And and looking back at it, I would have thought the exact same thing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's right. just like, this kid really has no idea what he's doing here. Yes. You know, why would why would we want him to work here?
9: When you started running calls, did you feel like you were... Prepared? No, not
2: even okay. remotely. No. <laughs> okay. I I probably told this story before, but so Mike Billy was the driving instructor years previous to that, and so when he was the regular on the truck, he had come to us attack and said, "If you're on my shift, the day that you get there, you better be ready to drive. You know, code three drive, because we had got our driver training. And okay. Stuff, and, and it was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, like they're not going to let us drive to real calls. Sure. Right? Like they're going to pick and choose. That's what we were telling ourselves and we walked in the door and at seven o'clock we caught a code over at the high school and he looked at me and he's like you're driving (laughs) and it's you know the old truck too and everything and i you know i i'd driven it you know in the the parking lot and i mean thank god that it was the high school because i was like yeah this is the one place i know quarter mile away i'm pretty sure i can get there (laughs) and i remember oh man i remember my foot bouncing the whole way out sure shitting (laughs) a peach (laughs) seed just the whole way and then you know we get there and it is a code you know in front yeah. of it's in an auditorium in front of wow. 300 people you know we're doing cpr on this lady and it was like all right like i'm in it now and that was your first that shift was my at first station, too. call at station too. it wasn't a student though it was like a teacher no it was um it was actually a tops convention okay like uh it's like a weight loss oh okay um like a weight watchers kind of thing but they were having their their annual convention Interesting. So, I was yeah. just
0: imagining it like it was a high school student. No, no, like that like, holy yeah. moly, I might have, <laughs> I might have, that, have bowed out after that if yeah. that was the
2: case. But yeah, it was just it was pretty intense for a first call, you know. And now it's, it just seems a million years away. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. 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 But
9: well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate being here and Any what time, you're man. doing for everybody. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. And uh, being as open as you know, talking about those things is right. <laughs> awesome. All right,
1: thanks
10: you're listening to oea grow a member-led production of the oregon education association and a proud member of the labor radio podcast network oea grow is by members for members in season 11 educators discuss a culture of care with Dr. Amy Yellick.
11: Hello, welcome back to OEA Grows Season 11, where we're talking about cultures of care. Today, I am talking with Julie Patton about family engagement.
3: Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me.
11: Yeah, it's so great. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So could you tell me, like, what does, like, what does family engagement mean to you?
3: Well, family engagement is number one, it's connecting with um, parents and working with them. I I think, um, well, I would start with number one. Parenting is a really hard job and it can be really super isolating. And so to me, family engagement is like reaching out and working with families to see what their needs may be around that parenting lens. But it's also things like, you know, finding resources for them and then also reminding them that they're not alone. Um, Because like I said, it's very isolating and you may have something going on with with one of your kids that you think you're the only person in the world, but it turns out you're not. Um, And those of us in education and the reason I'm on the team is because I am an educator. We, we see some trends with students a lot. And so, um, yeah. And we also know that family engagement is important because uh, it supports kids because families know their kids best right? Parents know their kids best, or guardians. And um, we know that in school, that when we partner with parents, um, students are more successful. They're more successful socially, academically, behaviorally. Um, And so that's why I feel like it's really important. And also, it humanizes parents. Um, Sometimes in schools, you know, uh, parents can be seen as these scary entities when they're reaching out with questions or concerns and um, they, you know, need to be heard and listened to, you know? And I think when teachers and and parents work together, kids will do better. And so just in light of the world we're in right now, I think it's so important that we partner. So what would be, um,
11: like, what are kind of your first steps if you, whether, you know, you've got a kiddo and you've got to reach out to the family. How do you approach that? What's your kind of strategy? I yeah, guess?
3: well, I, I'm first of all, I'm, I want to make sure that I'm communicating in a way that the person that I'm talking to can deal with, right? So the first time I usually reach out by phone call, but I'm always careful to ask, is this a good time? And how would you like me to communicate with you? And so, you know, oftentimes a lot of my families like parents like text. And so I have a Google voice that I use. And then also just being really curious when I do talk with them about um, their students' background, because oftentimes I'm asking questions about, you know, a history of trauma or anything going on. Is there outside services being, you know, supporting? Do you have, a does your child have a parole um, or a, you know, juvenile justice officer, or are you going to counseling? So those, and those questions can feel um, really invasive. And so I just try to let them know, like, I'm here to support your child, um, you know, share what you feel comfortable. This just kind of helps me to support your kid a little bit more. And so I think just also my demeanor, I just try to be really, you know, nonjudgmental and, and, you know, calming, empathetic tone. You know, yeah. And sometimes you have parents that um, are yellers. I've I experienced that. And again, I just have to ground myself and listen and like kind of read between the lines that they're stressed out too. And um, yeah. I mean, I think I kind of answered that question, but I kind of went off. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's
11: those are great. I suggestions. You know, if someone was like, okay, I want to improve family engagement, what are some of the things? So I think,
3: you know, just talking through a teacher's lens, because that's where I always come from, because I am a teacher. Um, I think about how many students an average teacher might see, and it's usually over 100, I would think, easily. And just imagining how many parent contacts that would be. Teachers can do it. It's just going to be a little bit more generalized, like reaching out to families about who they are, kind of what they do having an open, you know, communication policy. Those are things that I would do, you know, when I was teaching in my classroom that, you know, I'm here for you. Um, And sometimes it takes more time than teachers really are given during the school day to do. And that's why it may look like to parents, especially teachers don't care, but their schedules are so tight. They have very little time to do the, do the extras. And so, um, I'm really blessed to be able to do what I do and work with a smaller group of kids and have real conversations with families, I guess, is what yeah. I would come back to.
11: Well, Julie, I just can't thank you enough. I'm just so um, just so impressed with the work that you're doing. And I just think it's such an important part of being able to help children succeed. So thank, thank you, you for joining yeah. me. Yeah.
10: Bienvenidos al Cafecito del Día, our space to share stories, amplify our voices, and foster a sense of community within the broader context of the labor movement. Soy Carmen Rodriguez, and I am honored to share El Primer Cafecito de 2024 with LACLAS Presidenta Nacional, Evelyn De Jesus. Bienvenida, Evelyn, Tu El Cafecito del Día. Thank you so much for being here with us for this conversation. We are talking today about LACLAS work, achievements, and goal for this 2024. Gracias, Evelyn.
4: Muchas gracias, hermana Carmen. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited on the vision of LACLAS for 2024. I'm so happy that we can share it together.
10: To start our conversation, can you give us a brief overview of the Latino Workers in Union, a strategic partnership for America's success, 2024 report and its significance in understanding the challenges and goals for Latino workers and unions for this 2024? Absolutely. Our report highlights the relationship between the
4: Latino community and the labor movement. It discusses the importance and impact of organized labor, as well as the numerous challenges our community faces in the workplace. The report includes discussions of specific topics such as the Latina pay gap and how to increase civic participation within the Latino community in order to gain more benefits and advance the labor movement agenda. And
10: what are the key challenges that Latino workers and unions are facing in the labor Movement landscape power? Great
4: question. So, as we all know, Latinos are among America's most vulnerable workers. The COVID 19 pandemic exposed the disproportionate impact on Latinos and other workers of color leading to job losses and discrimination. As we know, discrimination in the workplace threatens the living conditions and economic security of workers. We also have a broken immigration system that forces them into underpaid, unsafe, and abusive working environments, risking their lives. And even after Latinos provide so much for the economy, did you know that up to 69% of Latino workers do not have retirement accounts, which leads them at risk once they retire or requires them to work more? When talking about the challenges Latinos as faced in the labor movement, we also need to address the Latina pay gap. For every dollar a white Latino makes, Latinas only make 52 centavos, 52 cents. We are the lowest paid of all ethnic and gender groups. Even when obtaining any form of higher
10: education, they remain one of the lowest-paid groups. 2023 fue un año importante for the labor movement. There were nearly 400 strikes around the country. What has been the impact and the result of these actions in the Latino community, in nuestras familias, y en la vida de los trabajadores? The labor strikes of 2023 have
4: been able to impact the Latino community by creating a sense of empowerment and advocacy in the workplace. Latinos have been able to mobilize more than ever, knowing that they can voice their concern and directly use their democratic rights to create better working conditions via collective bargaining. Yet, with dwindling membership, numbers, and with a large majority of Latinos needing protections, now more than ever could we see a large movement of Latino union membership which benefits both parties involved. This helps further the labor movement.
10: We say that Latino workers need unions in order to have better working conditions, but unions also need Latino workers in order to continue to grow. How does this strategic? partnership between Latino workers and unions contribute to America's success. I absolutely agree with that. It's like a marriage. Engaging
4: Latinos and unions and winning their support for collective bargaining agreements is essential. This engagement is integral to combating workplace discrimination and ensuring the future success of the labor movement. Unions are always searching for new members and Latinos are always seeking better working conditions and protections, thus creating a partnership, kind of like a marriage between Latino workers and unions that contribute to America's success. Latinos are the most exploited community in the workplace and union membership are low. Meaning with union participation, Latinos can go against wage theft and ensure safe working conditions and better wages. Encouraging unions to recognize, very important, the untapped potential in organizing and supporting Latino workers is essential and it's key. Latino workers and unions share goals of fair wages, safe working conditions, and the fight against against discrimination. By aligning our efforts, we can create a stronger, more inclusive labor movement that reflects the changing demographics and addresses the unique challenges faced by our Latino workers.
10: Muchas gracias, Evelyn. Muchas gracias, hermana. And we invite all workers to stay tuned and be aware of our report. Letter. Yes,
4: please read it. And this is about you, the workers. Your voice, we see you. You are presente and la clase presente
10: with you. Gracias. El Cafecito del Día is part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Nos escuchamos en el próximo Cafecito del Día.
5: And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a small sample of the amazing programs aired last week on more than 100 labor radio and podcast shows. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. We'll see you next week.